everybody. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. Those of us that are here, <laughs> this is a little wild. We know, welcome. First of all, I'm Meredith. My husband, Claude Dyer, are the lead pastors of this church. We love you so much. We're so thankful for those of you in the room. We know that there are a lot of our families um, still suffering with COVID, unfortunately, um, and some other things going on. So, But we're thankful for those of you in the room. We imagine a lot of you are online right now. So um, we just want to welcome you. We're so thankful for any way that you can join us. Um, I'm going to talk through some info today, but I want to start by saying today is the start of a new series. We are very excited about that. There are journals in the back for free. Um, take one. It's an Ephesians journal. That's where we're starting. So if you want to get up at any point while I'm talking and get that, and if you're online, which many of you are, um, we will mail you one, but you just have to email us at connectedcenterychurch.com and we'll mail you one, or hopefully maybe you can be here next week and we'll get you a journal then, but feel free to get up and get one at any point while I'm talking. Um, so anyway, for those of you online, um, some of what I'm saying may not apply, but you can certainly check things out on our website. I want to welcome any guests that are in the room today. We're so thankful to see your faces. We're thankful for you being here. We know that visiting a church is not always the easiest thing to do, um, but if there's any way we can serve you and help you make your visit um, a little bit more comfortable, we would love to do that. Um, we would love for any of you in the room to share your information. Certainly, if you're a guest, we would love to do that, uh, have your information, just so that we can follow up and get feedback. We'll just send you a little survey, a note in the mail not stalking you in any way, shape, or form. Um, and then if you're in the room and you just haven't updated your information in a while or you moved or whatever, um, you can do that. There's a couple ways you can. There's info cards at the info center and in the back. Um, and you can also use an app. It's called the YouVersion app, the Bible app. We're in there, and there are a number of things you can do through that app. Through that app. Certainly, you can update your information, um, and you can also take notes. You can follow along with the gathering, and you can give that way. Um, and if you feel led to give in any other way, you can also do that on our website or in the offering box in the back. Just wanted to mention that. Um, if you have any questions, ideas, feedback, or you need prayer, maybe many of you need prayer if you're not feeling well, um, you can email us at connectedcenterychurch.com. And I just want to say a side note. I love the church. I love that this was Jesus' idea. I love what he has built and what he's building here in Victor through Centerway. And I'm saying that because it's been so encouraging to see you guys take care of each other um, while people have been sick and under the weather and all kinds of things. And that's that's a big part of what the church is for. Amen. Um, so some other ways to connect and engage throughout the week besides emailing us if you need anything. We have wallpapers that you can put on your phone or on your desktop to remind you of the application. Uh, we have a Spotify playlist. It'll be a new one starting from this series. So if you want to listen to any songs, um, you can do that. Uh, we have social media, and you can subscribe, if you would like, to our Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday devotionals. If you don't want to subscribe to that, um, you can find them on our website. They're always there, but our team curates those, and they go right along with the message. And this Ephesians series, there's some really good stuff that won't make it into a message, um, but some of that will make it into the devotionals. So you may want to sign up for those. Um, you can always take next steps. It doesn't just have to be a Sunday thing. In fact, the church is the church um, outside of the church more than we're in the church together. Is that right? And so um, if you want to take any next steps, whether it's being water baptized or becoming a centerway steward um, or getting spiritually coached, we have an eight-week discipleship program serving all kinds of things. You can always do that either online or at the next steps table out there. So again, new series starting today. If you want the journals, feel free to grab them at any point. Um, but here's what to expect for the rest of the gathering today. When I'm done here, Becca's going to be reading scripture for us. Claude's going to be communicating from the Bible. And then we're going to respond to the word through singing. So let's pray together. God, we give you praise and we are mindful of those that are not with us this morning for whatever reason, for weather or illness or, or just being busy. We thank you, God, that... Um, that where two or three are gathered, you're here. And so we're thankful for those that are here. We're thankful for those that are gathering online. We pray, God, um, that your blessing truly would be on all of us. I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church today and that we would receive it with open hands and open hearts and that we would um, really commit to applying the text and be transformed and see a community around us transformed. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Meredith. Uh, Happy New Year, everyone. My name is Becca, and I'll be reading the scripture today. We are in Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 6. So feel free to follow along in the YouVersion app or write along on the screens. Uh, Ephesians 1, chapter 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Thank you, Becca. So good to uh, to be with you all and uh, start a new series and begin the new year, right? Huh? Outstanding. I don't know why I said, hey, like that. <laughs> Just my own entertainment. Today's kind of a special day. Um, 23 years ago, I, uh, I tricked Meredith into marrying me. And uh, so today is our 23rd wedding anniversary. We get to spend it all with you. Wahoo! I'm excited. Yeah. So let's go ahead and jump into a new series. We're going to journey through the book of Ephesians. Super excited about this. Um, in fact, today's uh, message is entitled, the series is entitled Essential, but today's message is entitled Anticipation. Anticipation. And so I want to give you a little bit of an overview of the series, a little bit of an overview of Ephesians before we jump in. Um, first off, uh, Ephesians is what's called a prison epistle, which is just church talk for a letter that was written in prison. Okay, so a prison epistle means a letter written in prison, and the Apostle Paul is the author of Ephesians, and he wrote it while he was in a Roman prison. And uh, the predominant theme of Ephesians as a whole, as we'll see in different series as we journey through Ephesians, is really about unity. Basically, because we understand and experience God's love for us, we in turn have love for one another. Uh, Even though we're different and we have differences, um, we still love because of who God is and what he's done for us. And so chapters four, five, and six that we'll get to obviously eventually are super practical. They talk about things from marriage to uh, the way you deal with uh, conflict and expectations and stuff like that. Um, But they're practical only because they're on... They're basically the outflow of the doctrine that's clarified in chapters one through three. And obviously, um, we're going to talk about some doctrinal things, and that will have uh, practical application as well. But just want to let you know that chapters one through three are critical in the sense that four, five, and six kind of stand on them. Uh, Because what we believe, our doctrine, is essential. Uh, It's essential because it informs how we live, how it is that we live, the decisions that we make. Now, I was thinking about a a lot of different stories that I could share to kind of jump into today's message. And one thing just kept rising to the top. Uh, I have opportunity from time to time to to speak at uh, different retreats and different events. And so um, I'm reminded of uh, one of the first retreats I ever spoke at um, some 20 years ago at least. Um, And we were uh, invited to come along and we actually brought uh, the worship leader. Uh, He was a single guy named Matt Anderson. Maybe he's watching. Hi, Matt. How's it going? Um, But in either case, um, he, uh, he traveled with us and part of this retreat was for us to, to do these team building activities. And so they asked the speaker and the worship leader if we would participate in a team. So we were like, sure. And for some reason, they put us together. Uh, the reason I say that is because um, we just kind of dominated. Like our team just dominated because there were two of us that were kind of thinking clearly and strategically. And so we were just like, at one point, we had to get students over a certain spot and it was supposed to be this intricate thing. And I was like, I think I can just throw them to you. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I think I can just throw the kids at you. He's like, all right. I'm like, can you catch him? He's like, I think so. I was like, all right, let's do it. So he jumped over there. I just started chucking kids at him. And he's like catching teenagers and the person running the thing's like, guys, come on, you can't. I'm like, we're working as a team. And so then they started coming up with all this stuff. Like, okay, you, we're going to do this, uh, you know, ropes course, but you know, Claude has a broken arm and Matt has a broken leg. We're like, what? I'm like, all right, you guys can carry us throw us. No. Um, so we were just kind of going through this obstacle course. We were going super quick. And there's this one spot that we come to and there's a chasm. I don't really know how far it was to give you the, the cliff notes version. Basically it's like the width of a two by four goes over this kind of mud pit and you're supposed to try to make it over there with a group of people working together. And then you release a ladder that will then allow the rest of the team to crawl over more stably and, and easier. And so 
the person running the thing said, you know, ideally you're going to get four or five people and you're going to work as a team to get across this. And so we're standing on this platform and I look at it, I'm like, I can jump that. Matt's like, are you serious? I was like, yeah, I think so. He's like, that's pretty far. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I can get a running start. I can jump this thing. He's like, so what are, you, what are you thinking? I'm like, I'll jump it. I'll release the ladder. And then you guys just run across. He's like, we're already destroying everybody. You sure? I'm like, I know I can jump that. And so I'm kind of backing up. And the person in charge is like, well, uh, Claude has a broken leg for this one. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, well, whatever. And so Matt's like, um, I can't jump that. I'm like, really? And he said, yeah, no, that's way too far. I know my limitations. I can't jump that far. I was like, oh, bummer. Like, all right, well, I guess we'll just do the exercise the way we're supposed to. And so we start to kind of get a team together. And this kid's like, hey, yo, I, I can jump that. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I, I can jump that. He's like, I heard Claude talking. Like, if he can do that, I can do it. I'm like, I got about a foot on you, man. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I know that I can jump that. You know, have you ever gotten to something where you're looking and there's like, you're confident and then there's some things that you're kind of nervous about? I, I had no nervousness around this. Like, I knew I could jump it. Matt had nervousness and he was mature enough to say, I can't do it. This kid is like, I can jump that. I'm like, are you, you're sure you can jump? He's like, I'm telling you, man, I'm an athlete. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know a lot of athletes that can't jump that, man. He's like, listen, I was made for this. So me and Matt just look at each other. <laughs> we got like smiled on face. I'm like, wow, so you're really like ramping this up, huh? He's like, I'm telling you, I was created to be an athlete. I was made for this. I can make that jump. I'm like, all right, dude. And so I had the rope in the back of my pocket because you had to jump across and then you use the rope to release the ladder. And so this rope is attached to a tree. And so I pull the rope out of my pocket. I'm like, listen, if you're feeling it, he's like, I can do this. I was created for it. I'm like, all right, all right, you were created for it. So he gets this thing and he wraps the rope around his arm. I'm like, you might not want to do that. He's like, I got it. I'm like, okay. Dude backs up, running start, jumps. I'm not confident he made it halfway. Like he's kicking. I mean, he looked like he was going to go forever, but you ever see somebody that like kind of hits the apex of their jump and then you just see them start to free fall? He did that rather quickly. And so he starts to go down, he's kicking and he's reaching out. And so he goes to reach out to see if he can get to the platform. And as he does, his arm kind of jerks back because it's wrapped around a rope, which spins him sideways, which puts his head down. And he goes head first, upside down, right in to this mud pit, just and uh, I'm like, that did not go well. That did not go well. And uh, so Matt's like, I don't get it. You were made to jump in mud? And he's like, come on, man. Can I have another shot? And the guy's like, no, you're lucky you can still walk. He's like, this, you have to do it the way you're supposed to do it. So I, I share that story, one, because it was hilarious. And I hope that that kid, wherever he is, is watching. It's like, I'm the dude that jumped head first into the mud. But the question I want to ask as we move into the text and consider today is why were you created? Why were you created? Obviously, this kid thought he was created for that moment. <laughs> and if he was, it was a dismal disappointment. But the truth is, most people struggle with this question. Why was I created? In fact, society has taught us that the answer to this question is found in vocation what it is that we do for a living, right? What it is that we do for a living or what it is that we will do for a living. It's what I was created to do or be. Maybe you've heard this phrase, what do you want to be when you grow up? You ever hear that? You ask somebody like, what do you want to be when you grow up? I remember I wanted to be things that made no sense. Like, I want to be Superman. Like, yeah, I think that's taken. Like, I'm pretty sure I can be anything. I'm like, unless my mom's lying. Wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, see, the reality is there's a lot of things that we can't do. There's a lot of things that we can't do. And so what is it that you want to grow up? Sometimes when, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? Sometimes almost weighs us down with all of the options. Like we don't want to choose poorly. <laughs> now, the obvious problem with this approach is there are a lot of adults that are in the room, maybe watching online, that are about their life adulting. You know, they're going through the things that they believe they were made and created to do, the, pro the profession of their choosing. And they think, what is it that I want to do when I grow up? You see, you can be right in the middle of a profession, right in the middle of living your life and still wrestle with the idea of like, what is it that I want to do? Like, this is my job, but what is it that I want to be? Who is it that I want to be? What do I want to do when I grow up? You know, a familiar saying is, uh, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. 
Do what you love. You'll never work a day in your life. And some of you might say, oh, that is so true, man. That's so true. I love what I do. I just feel like I never worked a day in my life. Okay. All right. So for others of you might say, all right, I just either need to love what I do or the problem is I don't love what I do. So I just don't love what I do enough. And that's why I still feel like, what, what do I want to be when I grow up? But I want to have you just question something for a moment. What's wrong with that statement? What's wrong with the statement, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life? What's wrong with it is this. It's implying the purpose and goal of everyone's life is to avoid the sense or feeling of work. Like you're, you're saying, listen, listen, you want to have fulfillment in life? You want to have purpose? Do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life because the goal and purpose of your one and only life is to avoid any sense of work. <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. Is that what you were created for? Were you created for the purpose of work avoidance? Is that why we exist? What were you created for? Retirement, right? Like that's it. If I could just avoid the sense of work forever and just slip right from like high school student into retirement, oh, that would be amazing. Some of us are thinking that might be pretty cool until you talk to people that are in those types of scenario and they're just as lost. They're just as striving. And honestly, that bar's pretty low, right? My, my goal in life is to reach retirement as quickly as possible. What about this? What if you do love what you're doing and you still aren't fulfilled? There's professional athletes galore. I think probably the, the most famous one and the easiest recognizable is probably Tom Brady, who has won so many things that it sickens everyone. Um, uh, I, I'm not sure his own family likes him. But anyway, uh, just kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but he says, he has said several times, and it's been in different um, articles and different video clips where he's like, is this it? Like, that's it? I've won. Is that it? So I'm going to win more. If I just win more, then, then I'll get a sense. I mean, we're talking about somebody that's a multimillionaire that loves what he's doing and what he's articulating is he still has a hole in his life. There's still a gap. There's something missing. What were you created for? Here's a little secret. You and I were not created to spend our lives chasing comfort. Think about that for a second. We were not created for the purpose of chasing comfort. Society tells us to pursue comfort, that that's the end goal, that, that retirement and relaxation, that being on a beach somewhere, that ultimately that will bring a sense of fulfillment. The problem is there are people that are retired, people that are sitting on beaches, people with lots of money, and they're still saying, what is the purpose of life? <laughs> Why am I here? You see, as humans, if we lack understanding about why we were created, we'll go to our greatest insecurity and try to resolve the problem ourselves. Let me explain. Maybe it's comfort. Maybe the, the greatest insecurity that you might have, whether you're aware of it or not, is this sense of comfort. And so that will cause you to pursue finances. Because you think, if I just get enough money, then I will accomplish this problem of comfort, and I'll finally have a sense of peace. Maybe it's your self-worth. If you have an insecurity around your self-worth, then you'll pursue status. You'll run after possessions. You'll enter into different relationships. You'll say, listen, if I can just have that relationship, then, oh, then my life will make sense. If I could just have this bigger house, if I could just have this nicer car, if I could just have as much as that person has, then, oh, <laughs> then my life would be worth it. If maybe your biggest insecurity is your identity, then you'll, you'll just run after power and control. Because if you're a powerful person, if you're in control of situations, then nobody can take advantage of you. You'll have value and purpose. The list goes on. It's a problem with humanity. None of us are exempt from it. If you are believing that you're exempt from it, then you're in an entirely different category searching for a different type of security. It's one where you are the God of your own life and have everything figured out. The reality is we're all in the same human boat. We all want to give our lives to something. So why were you created? Why were we 
created. This is what the Apostle Paul addresses in this section of Scripture. Verse 1 starts and says this. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of people, typically in the greeting section of, a, of an epistle, of a letter, will kind of jump over that part. It's kind of like a ho-hum, like we get it, he's the author, this is who he's writing to. And so at face value, it might not seem important, but this verse is actually a declaration of calling and purpose. He's setting a stage. First, Paul's calling and purpose, which is humanly speaking, almost nonsensical. The apostle Paul first existed as Saul. And so Saul, he went through a name change. And so the Lord changed his name to Paul, but he started off as Saul. And so Saul hunted Christians down, literally hunted Christians down. In fact, he was silent at the first recorded um, martyr's death. So Stephen was stoned to death as a martyr believing in Christ and standing up for Christ. And Paul stood and watched over the cloaks of people as he watched Stephen be murdered. That's Paul's past. Totally different name even. Some of us in this room can be like, hey, I have a past. And honestly, I probably could even give it a different name because that's how different that person was from who I am today. So that's Paul's past. But get this, his present isn't that pretty either. Paul's in a Roman prison. He's in chains. He's a prisoner. But he doesn't see it that way. He isn't held captive by his past or his present. His past and present are not defining him. And his confidence isn't just for himself in this text. He goes on, he says, listen, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. In other words, I had nothing to do with it. Believe it or not, God is doing something in and through me. And a lot of you know exactly what he's talking about because you're amazed at where it is that you are and what it is the Lord has done in your life. But he goes on and says, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, let me tell you something. The reason why this is profound is because there ain't no saints in Ephesus. <laughs> so he's talking about something that doesn't make any sense once again. He uses the word saints, which is a term used for Jewish people that were held in extremely high esteem. But he's writing to Gentiles in a very large city, one of the top five largest cities in the then known world, Ephesus. It's a wicked city. And he's saying, listen, don't let society tell you who you are, Christians at Ephesus. You are saints. You are walking in something that is beyond what makes sense in the earthly world. God sees you differently. And so his confidence for himself is spilling over in this verse. And he's talking about calling and purpose. He's initially starting kind of with a foundation and clarifying what's essential for a perspective change. In other words, I want you to start thinking about yourself differently, people of Ephesus and people of Centerway, people of this community and surrounding communities. Let's lay down the essentials for a perspective change because what we believe matters. What we believe matters. It informs all the decisions we make. Verses three and four go on and say this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. This reveals something very important, these two verses. It reveals what I'll call divine intent. What I mean by that is God took initiative in the redemption plan. In other words, he didn't sit up in heaven and go, oh my goodness, there's a sin problem. What are we gonna do? I'm not sure. It's gonna be messy, but we gotta do something. The grace that we are awarded is not random. Why is that important? Why is it important to consider that the grace that we're awarded is not random? Because it proves that you, you as an individual, if I could put your name in there, that's that personal and that specific. You as an individual were on the heart and mind of God. You are valuable. Listen, your life is not accidental. It's not haphazard. Your life has purpose. And this isn't just a pep talk of like, listen, let's start the new year right. You matter, gosh darn it. And God loves you. 
No, I'm talking about connecting the dots of the reality of the redemptive plan that's been at work since the beginning of time. Your life has purpose. It also reveals that God's love for you and me is not conditional. We didn't earn our salvation. Some of us get wrapped up in attempting to earn it now and we're exhausted in the process and we're always falling short because it's not about behavior modification. We didn't earn our salvation. This past week, uh, for the last week of the year, we, uh, at Centerway, we did a departure from our t- typical emailed devotions and uh, did a version devotional together. You saw that if you get the emails on Monday. And so we went through a journey together for five weeks as a church. And one of the verses that came up during that journey was Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8. And so I want to read Romans 5.8 because it perfectly states it. It says this, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Sometimes we think, you know what? This is going to be a new year. I'm going to be a way better Christian. I'm going to stop all that bad stuff. I'm not even kidding you. Jesus, I am not going to swear this year. Some of you walk out of here, you're like, Beep. oh no, <laughs> it's already ruined. You're like, listen, mom ruined that on the drive to church today. <laughs> not, not her mom. But anyway, she, you just laughed way too hard. That sounded like it was an admission of something. <laughs> I would probably pass out. Anyway, the fact is we set all these New Year's resolutions and then we don't do them. And sometimes we do that with our faith. We treat a relationship with God as if it's some New Year's resolution. Like, God, I promise I'm going to modify my behavior. I'll just be a better person. And then we fall short every time, all the time. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to clarify something, uh, versification, which is basically meaning putting verses in scripture, didn't happen until the 16th century, all right? So verse five should probably start with in love, even though it ends verse four. So I'm gonna start verse five with in love and then go on to verse five. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. All right, predestined. Now, like I said, there's some doctrine that we're gonna talk about that's going to be explained. And so I'm going to explain predestination as we, the preaching and teaching team here at Centerway, believe it's being revealed in the text. Because unfortunately, this term is sometimes misused or uh, taken out of context and defined differently. So I'm going to attempt to do some theological heavy lifting as we kind of set the foundations for an essential uh, journey through Ephesians. And so you'll have to kind of bear with me as I go a little bit theologically deep. If I lose anyone, I welcome the conversation afterwards as I always do. Um, But here we go. I think it's in layman's terms. I think it's pretty clear. We'll find out. (laughs) Okay. So the foreknowledge of God is an example or exercise of his omniscience. Right? Omniscience means he's all-knowing. He knows all things. So God has foreknowledge of things because he's omniscient. So he knows all things. It's not to be confused with his omnipotence, which means he's all-powerful. All right? So we're talking about his foreknowledge, his all-knowingness, not that he's all-powerful. And it's important because God's knowledge of what will occur is not the same as him making it happen without a person's freedom of will. So now predestination secures an eternal destiny for God's people whom he foreknew from the beginning of time would respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and accept his redemptive provision in Christ. All right, hopefully everybody's tracking with me. I wrote some of it down to make sure that I don't go off on a trail. So I'll say that again. Predestination secures an eternal destiny for God's people whom he foreknew from the beginning of time would respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and accept his redemptive provision in Christ. So predestination should not be confused with predeterminism, predeterminism, which is God deciding everyone's individual actions and fate in advance without noting their personal decision to believe, all right? As center way, we do not adhere to predeterminism. Although, if you do, you are obviously welcome to remain here and to continue to um, obviously be a part of center way. We believe humanity's free decisions enabled by the Holy Spirit are taken into consideration so that believers are chosen in Christ 
on the basis of God's foreknowledge. <laughs> in other words, here we go. This is hopefully we'll connect all the dots and some of you guys can come up for air and be like, I am not sure I heard any of that. You can listen to it later. In other words, if you are a Christ follower, he knew you would choose him. And so he provided a redemptive plan. That's what it means. And that's good news. And I want to make sure that we don't go through the text in moments like this and that we just skip over things. I want us to go deep. I want us to dig in. I want us to grab the meat of the text. I want us to be theologically more intelligent. I want us to strive to understand what it is that we believe instead of just coming here on a Sunday, get a pep talk and leave, all right? We've never given pep talks and just left. So sometimes there will be moments like that where it's like, wait, did I track with that? If you have any questions, I welcome uh, the conversation for sure. But I want to tell you, I'll rephrase the conclusion and then we'll move on a little bit further. In other words, if you are a Christ follower, he knew you would choose him. And so he provided a redemptive plan, a plan for adoption. That's what the text says. He predestined us for adoption. So a plan for adoption, which will further explain the doctrine I just explained in practical terms. We'll talk about it right now. So something we need to understand in context. Adoption did not exist in Jewish culture. There's no such thing. So uh, Paul, to talk to a bunch of Jewish people about an idea of adoption and even the word, it would make no sense. In fact, the word doesn't exist in Jewish text. It, it exists here in Greek, but it doesn't function in Greek society. It wouldn't make sense for him to make a Greek connection here. He's actually talking about a Roman idea. And he is in a prison in Rome. It makes perfect sense. And so, listen, adoption did not function the way we understand adoption today. And that's important to understand what Paul's even saying. So I'm gonna explain what adoption was and then we can start to connect some of the dots. Adoption was done only to increase someone's standing in society. That's the only reason why someone was adopted. And adoptions were only for boys. Girls could not be adopted, very sexist society. The boy being adopted, get this, had to have a living natural father. So that's, of course, like, wait, then why are they getting adopted? <laughs> you know, so in that society, an adoption only took place for boys and your father had to be alive and well and in agreement with you being adopted. So if a wealthy Roman didn't have an heir, no children, no son specifically, then a lower class Roman could offer their son as a slave. All right. The wealthy man would then pay the natural father for their son, but it wasn't a one-time ordeal. They would pay their son and then the adopter would, I'm sorry, they would pay the father for their son. Then the adopter would release the son from slavery. So after a certain amount of time and agreed upon time, he would release the son and the son would go back to his natural father. At which time, if both people agreed, they could come back and the natural father would one more time sell their son as a slave to the adopter and the adopter would pay again. And then the adopter would release again that child to their natural father. And so the, the adoption was not complete until the wealthy Roman paid three times. And on the third time, the wealthy man would purchase the boy and the boy was then freed from the natural father and became the son and heir to the wealthy man. The reason why it would happen three times is because it was a decision for both parties. It was a decision that needed to be processed and understood. There were terms and agreements that would come about because the natural father would then release the son and they would no longer have any responsibilities or obligations to that natural father. They were now the, the heir and child of that wealthy Roman. So here's the deal. God's decision is made at the foundation of the earth. That's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, listen, God already decided. He doesn't have to think about it. He's saying he's already decided to purchase so that none should perish. And if we read on, it says, in love, he predestined us, he foreknew that what it was that we would do. And so as for us, uh, and, uh, my gosh, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. As sons, 
<laughs> that was not a dramatic pause. I completely lost my spot. In love, he, de- he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, as sons. So that's the next part that I want to look at. Um, again, this is not a sexist statement, but rather what Paul is doing is he's elevating females and outcast males. He's saying, listen, in Paul's society, only sons in good standing could be heirs, right? So get this, Paul is saying God loves us so much that he provided a way for us, males and females, to be co-heirs with Jesus as if we were sons, as if we were sons in good standing, even though we were sinners and enemies of God, he provided a way. How? It goes on. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So how? Through Jesus Christ. The preposition in Greek, through, means pass between. So it means literally by means of, by means of the work of Jesus Christ, the true son and heir, we become children of God. So let's put it all together. In order to put it all together, I have to jump forward a little bit and then back. Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, talk about how we as humans are defined as sons of disobedience and children of wrath. All right? But we've been adopted. So we're born into sin. Our natural father is the sin nature of this world. And so we're stuck in the reality of a lower class of society headed towards hell itself. And there's nothing we can do about it. We were born into this. We are children of wrath, sons of disobedience, but, but we've been adopted. We've been adopted, purchased with a price, the sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And get this, by means of his sacrifice, we are no longer sons of disobedience and children of wrath. We no longer have a responsibility to the worries and the cares of this world. We're no longer held captive by our past or even our present. Our sinful nature has been removed because Jesus has done the work necessary. And so we go from being slaves to sin to child of God and co-heirs with Jesus Christ. This is a powerful text. It's a powerful, essential statement that Paul is saying to set the foundation, saying, listen, before we talk about anything else, you need to understand, like you're not an accident. This is not a mistake and your faith journey is not accidental either. In fact, God knew you and he loved you and you are a saint and he's working on your behalf. God has chosen and called us. The question is, will we surrender? Will we surrender? Are we struggling with an identity crisis? He's saying, but you're a child of God. You're like, yeah, but I really need to to earn value according to this world. I I just got to work harder. If I could just get a little more comfortable. God's like, what what are you talking about? No, your identity is child of of God. Don't get wrapped up in the worries and the cares of this world. You're set free from that. And we're like, no, no, but I mean... I'm valuable because I have power and position and stuff. And God's like, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? Like, it's a done deal. Why are you getting distracted by the worries and the cares of this world? We're struggling with an identity crisis. Why were we created? Why were we created? The tension and the question I've asked from the beginning, and don't worry, I'm going to answer it now. It's found in verse six. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Listen, our purpose is praise and it's in response to his grace. We respond to God's grace through praise. Are you living your life to bring him praise? Think about that for a second. There's nothing that makes sense in our society in regards to that. Like, wait, I mean, I'm living, I'm living my life to be comfortable. I'm living my life to make sure that my kids are comfortable. I'm living my life to make sure I get to that college, to make sure that I make that team in order to, to be gifted in this way, in order to accomplish that. Whatever the list might be, are you living your life to bring him praise? That's where fulfillment is found. That's where fulfillment is found. And we just came off of a a text through Advent where we talked about this idea of life song. What is the song of your life? Like I've mentioned already, we're in New Year's resolutions. 
And I want to ask you, what are you giving your life to? Your one and only life. This is it. Like, I'm not trying to be tragic or morbid or anything like that, but this, this is it. What are you giving your life to? What is it that you're running after? Oh, and just that thing, it's, it's awesome. I got it for Christmas, I'm so happy. I already don't care about it, <laughs> right? What was the, the thing you wanted last year that would bring you so much joy? And now it's old. Now, does that mean things are bad? No, but man, if they're ultimate things, if they define who you are, if you run after it with all of your life and all of your strength, it's like grabbing at sand at a beach and you just feel it squeeze through your fingers and falling to the ground. It's like you just can't grasp enough. It's your one and only life. This is it. What are you giving your one and only life to? Because you're giving your life to something. Some of you might think that the title doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, where do we get anticipation from? <laughs> We're on a planning retreat as we do every year with the lead team, as we just pray and consider what it is that the Lord might have center way to be about. And then as we were in that time, I shared with them a little bit about what the Lord was laying on my heart in regards to a, a word that the Lord gave center way kind of for us to focus towards, to kind of realize. And, um, and as we were praying and talking, I, I shared this word, anticipation. Anticipation, you're gonna hear it throughout the year as we would typically talk about kind of a theme throughout the year. But anticipation is far different than expectation. Expectation is coming to the table with an idea of how you want it to work out. That never pans out, right, with God? <laughs> it's like, but wait, God, this wasn't my plan. He's like, no joke. And I thought it was gonna go this way. Yeah, but it's not, is it? So you're gonna pitch a fit or <laughs> what does life look like? And so I wanna challenge you and I wanna challenge us to consider as we look at our identity and who it is that God has created us to be that we would live lives of anticipation. Anticipation. God is doing something and God is about to do something. Are you living a life of praise-filled anticipation? Is that your goal? Say, so I just wanna, I want my life song to be praised to you, Lord. I wanna understand who you say that I am. I want to lay the, the crowns of my life, the, the things that I chase after, I want to lay them at your feet and say, your will be done. Are you living a life of praise-filled anticipation? We say all the time here that the text requires something of us. And so I want to challenge you with a statement rather than a question as we respond in worship in just a few moments. I want to challenge you with this. I will take action on this, one, on this one thing this week. I will take action on this one thing this week. Now, the reason why um, it's worded that way is because there's a whole mess about your salvation that you can do absolutely nothing about, right? But it's already been done on your behalf. So what are the things that you need to take action on? What's the one thing? We're in a new year and we have all these lists. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm gonna do no, no. This week, what's the one thing? What's the one thing? I want to unpack it a little bit further. And as I do, I want to welcome you just to, to bow your heads. And if you want to close your eyes, you can. And the reason why is because the worship team is going to make their way up. And I don't want you distracted by movement in the room. If you want to close your eyes, you can. If you want to keep them open and just put your head down, that's fine. I want you to consider maybe for you today, the thing that you need to take action on is to surrender. Maybe you've lived your entire life elevating your preference, chasing after things, and maybe you've accumulated a lot, and maybe by the world standard, you're extremely successful. Maybe you have a lot of comfort. Maybe you have a lot of power and a lot of control. Maybe you're a person of influence and all of those things, and yet you find yourself still searching. I want to submit to you today that maybe it's because you just need to surrender. You need to acknowledge who God says that you are. And so today it could be as easy as praying a prayer. It's not a rote prayer or something that you have to memorize or repeat. It's understanding what it is that Jesus has done and simply acknowledging it. Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinner. 
but you died for my sin. Would you forgive me and be the Lord and leader of my life? Some variation of that prayer to begin a relationship. And today, if that's you and, and you prayed that prayer, or you're praying that prayer, we'd love to talk to you about next steps. For those of you that are present in, in person, I'll be at the next steps table at the end. But for those of you that are watching online or listening to the podcast afterwards, I want to encourage you to reach out through the website or via email. Love to talk to you about the next step. For everyone else, I want you to, to wrestle and consider as you make this statement, I will take action on this one thing this week. This one thing. For some of you, maybe it's rest in my identity. This week, the action that I'm going to take is rest in my identity. I'm going to stop striving. I'm going to stop trying to earn. I'm going to stop trying to keep up with the Joneses and be filled with envy and, and stress and frustration about what could be and should be. And I'm not going to get wrapped up in what I'm going to be when I grow up. But instead, I'll realize who God says I am. Who God says I am. Maybe for others of you, it's, it's coming to the place where you say, you know what? I'm going to be content. I'm going to be content and realize that my job is what pays the bills. But it's not who I am. It doesn't define who I am. For others of us, it's releasing our past. A debt that's been paid. And you carry it around like baggage that you have to lay out before God as some sentence of guilt. Yeah, but God, don't forget, I did this. God's like, what are you talking about? It's gone. He sees you as a child. You're no longer a son of wrath, child of disobedience. No, you've been forgiven. It's a walk in the future that God has for you. Maybe for some, it means live like a child of God with an eternal perspective, not wrapped up in the worries and cares of the world, but focused on what it is that God has called you to do and be so that you can live a life of praise-filled anticipation, that you literally go about your day and you feel and sense the smile of heaven on your life. God himself is able to say to you, well done, my good and faithful servant. You were about the things I called you to be about. So it just means surrendering to the Lord today, declaring his will above yours. Let's pray as we respond in worship. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. And we ask that, that you would have the reality of who you say that we are settled deep into our souls. That it would settle deep into our souls and our hearts, Lord, that the truth of who you say that we are would combat every lie that surfaces. Father, that we would rest in the reality that we are children of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ, that when you look at us, you don't see a record of wrong or a list of sin, but you see a redeemed child of God. We're your children. Lord, set us free so that we can be about what you've called us to be, that we could make disciples that we could leverage all of our gifts and our talents and all that you've created us to be, to be praised towards you, that we live on mission for your glory and our joy, Lord. Amen. Let's worship the Lord together. Just sing and sing with us.
first going to sing one more song and try to play and talk at the same time. So I'm going to explain it a little bit. This is a song we've never done before. It's fairly popular in Christian circles right now, so you might know it, and it's fine if you don't. Um, but this is not a traditional worship song. This is really, a, it's called the blessing. It's really a benediction. It's a prayer. But we felt like it was appropriate for today, not just starting on a new year, but based on what we talked about. And it was funny because Claude referenced the last series, and um, I think of that week three often, where we talk about how the Bible says that making a joyful noise is a war cry.
Amen. Amen. We pray that over you as you start this new year. Know that we're praying for you, that we pray through the, the list of people that are associated with Centerway. It's no accident. It's no accident that you're here. It's no accident that God has woven you into the narrative that even is Centerway. Because this isn't about furthering a church, but we know that this is Jesus' church. <laughs> and that the gates of hell will not prevail against it, and that there are people that God has gathered and that is gathering so that there could be a redemptive work in this and surrounding communities. It's, it's not an accident. It's just not. Because in and of ourselves, like, why would we do that? <laughs> I'm, I'm shaken often by, I'm convicted often by the words of a man who actually, I can't, I can't remember his name. I went to college with him. I can picture his face. He had glasses. I remember the conversations we had. He was in an older person's dorm, like where I went to undergrad, there were kind of married people dorms and then there were the normal dorms and then there were some elderly dorms and he was an older student. I remember I was at an early breakfast one morning and he was there and he was just praying. He had his Bible open. I asked him how he was doing. He said, good. And he said, uh, starting a new job today. I'd appreciate the prayer if, if I come to mind. I said, sure, man. Like, what made you leave your last job? And um, I'm still really convicted about it, evidently. But he said, uh, he said well, I knew that uh, I was working there just to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so I, I shared the Lord with, with everybody. I, I befriended everybody that I worked with and had the opportunity to, to communicate the truth of the gospel to each one of them. And, and last week, I had that conversation with the last person that, that the Lord was leading me to. So I just felt like I, I didn't need to work there anymore, that there's another place that God has for me to start this week. I was like, what? Like, I'm a college student, man. I, I go to work to try to like pay for gas money. I felt so convicted because his perspective was so eternal. It wasn't even about paying the bills. It was just like, oh, well, this is where God has me for a season. And so I'm just gonna lean in and I'm gonna share my faith and I'm, I'm gonna live for him in every area until my work there is done and then I'll move on. And I share that story because I just... I don't know if that's going to minister to one of you. At the very least, it might challenge you to change your perspective, to acknowledge that where you are right now is a divine appointment, that it's not accidental, that maybe God has placed you there because there's somebody that needs to know the truth of the gospel and you've been placed strategically in their sphere of influence. And so walk in that. Walk in that. And allow God to, to leverage your life song towards the furtherance of his kingdom. Never belittle the roles that you play or the life that you live. So I apologize for keeping you long with that, but I felt like it was something I needed to share. And so I'm just gonna um, pray a, a word of blessing has already been sung over you. So I'll just pray a quick word and then we'll, uh, we'll see you next week because we get to do this and we get to gather in person. It's amazing still. We're so grateful, grateful to, to Willowbrook. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we declare ourselves available. We declare ourselves available. We want our lives to be a praise to you. Lord, we don't want to get wrapped up in lesser things. And so we declare ourselves available as we begin this new year, as we begin this new series, we declare ourselves available. And we're grateful that you have allowed us to be a part of building your church. We're humbled by it. We're amazed by it and we declare ourselves available. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Love to pray with you if you'd like prayer. Um, otherwise, I'll uh, be at the next steps table if you have any questions or anything. God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week.